Hi everyone, welcome back to the Step Outside podcast. This is Christy Keel Blackman with the Department of Forestry, Wildlife and Fisheries at the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture. Today, I would like to introduce everyone to a PhD student in our department, Doug Mitchell, and he is working with Dr. Patrick Kaiser. Welcome, Doug. Morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. We appreciate your time. Sure. So, Doug, let's start off like we always do and give us a rough overview of your research. Okay. The big headlines in, in the bird world is that we're losing the population about 29% of them have gone since the mid-60s, according to some researchers. And, and what's really bad is that grassland birds have been hit particularly hard, especially in the southeastern United States. And one of those birds is the northern bobwhite, and it's had a rough time. So what I'm doing is basically exploring how a population of bobwhites might respond to native forages in a beef production type of landscape. And when you say native forages, you're referring to native grasses. Right. And and more specifically, I I should be more specific because there's a lot of native forages, but we're paying especially close attention to grasses by the name of Indian grass, big blue stem, switchgrass, and little blue stem. Okay. And so why have we seen such a dramatic decline in grassland, bird species in particular? It's habitat loss. People people love to argue about why it's happening, and there are probably multiple small reasons that add up, but it all boils down to habitat loss. Okay, so basically we have lost a lot of our native grasslands that used to cover this area, the southeast. Is that correct? Right, so what happened within the last hundred years or so, maybe 75 years, especially in the southeast, Cattle farmers converted their fields to this new forage, it's not a new forage, but it was new to them back then, called tall fescue, which has its pros and cons for cattle. The good thing about it is that it grows during some pretty chilly weather, so the cattle can graze it then. But the bad thing is that it's not exactly good habitat for grassland birds. It's not the best habitat, I should say. Okay. For some birds. Let's talk a little bit about why we think these native warm season grasses will benefit bobwhites. What specifically is better about these grasses over fescue? So these grasses, the way they grow, their growth form is called a bunch grass. If you think about the grass in your yard, it's a thick carpet. And if you're a small bird that spends most of its time walking like a a bobwhite, that thick carpet is tough to walk through. Imagine you walking through three feet of snow all day long. It's just, you know, it's exhausting. So these bunch grasses, their growth structure provides these little alleyways, if you will, between the tussocks. The other thing is that these grasses, if you just leave them alone, they'll get dang near eight feet tall and very thick, which is also not necessarily very good for bobwhites. So the, the kicker here is that We put cattle in these pastures and they graze it down to a more reasonable height. So the cows are getting some pretty good food and the bobwhites get somewhere to live. Particularly, it's good nesting habitat for bobwhites. So in this scenario, the cattle and the bobwhites benefit at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a one-two punch. That's really interesting. How would we actually get farmers to switch from fescue to the native grasses? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the struggle. It takes a little bit of work. 
cattle production and the, the hay management and pasture management isn't exactly my field. I'm the bird guy. Mm-hmm. But what I've learned accidentally through this project is that converting, say, a tall fescue pasture to a native warm season grass pasture, um, you have to take it out of rotation for a while and just kind of leave it alone. So that's one of the, the hurdles is that the cattle farmers, they don't want to stop what they're doing and wait for this new pasture to, to do its thing, which could probably take a year sometimes or more, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good thing is that there are government cost share programs that help farmers. And depending on your state agencies, you, you can get a, a lot of help. For instance, uh, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, near where I'm working on my site, a lot of their private lands biologists will come out to the farmer's property and do most of the work for him. You know, they'll wow. show him, what, him or her what to do. And uh-huh. sometimes the seed is free and the equipment is free. Okay, so there's some really significant incentives for this. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay, good to hear. And also, we totally support accidental learning. That's the best way, right? (laughs) That's the only way for me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So let's talk about how you are actually tracking the bobwhites. Are we banding these birds, or do you have some other way to track their movements and, and their densities? Yeah, so it is a trapping heavy study. So every day in the morning, first thing in the morning is we set out a bunch of traps. And um, if you're familiar with, say, like a minnow trap or a crawdad trap where it has Mm -hmm. little funnels on the side, bobwhite traps are very similar. You just stick them on the ground, put a little trail of bird seed that leads to the funnel. And if you get lucky, one will follow the trail in and they have a hard time figuring out how to get out. So Sure. Okay. Set a bunch of those out on the ground every morning. In the evenings, we come back and check them. And if we're lucky, <laughs> there's a bobwhite in there. And those bobwhites get little bitty tiny uh, radio transmitters. Oh, okay. Radio transmitters. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're about the size. They're about the size of your thumbnail, and they're worth about two hundred bucks a pop. So. So the bobwhites are carrying around a lot of expensive tech. <laughs> they got backs. some. They got some <laughs> bling. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So how many birds have you attached the transmitters to so far? Oh, I'm coming up on probably about 100, 120, I think, right now. Wow. Um, they don't survive for very long. That's just the way bobwhites are, unfortunately. Okay. So they die pretty frequently. So at any given moment, even though we've caught, I'll say, 100-ish birds so far, at any given moment, I only have about a dozen that I'm tracking. Wow. Yeah, seems okay. like every two every two weeks a bird will die, but we'll also catch one or two ones to replace it. So, mm-hmm. and that's just natural causes. Yeah, predation. Predation. Okay. What is the lifespan of a bobwhite typically? On average, less than a year. Really? Wow. Yeah. Gosh. I want to say yeah. If I remember my uh, literature correctly, I think it's seventy or eighty percent of them mm-hmm. don't make it to the next breeding season. Gosh, which also compounds the issue of their habitat loss. Yeah. The good thing about it is they they are prolific breeders. They'll lay up to 18 or 20 eggs in the nest three times a year. They don't all make it, though. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So do you have any conclusions from your data at this point about the relationship of bobwhites to native warm season grasses, or are you still kind of in the collecting and analysis phase? So I'll be cautious about what I say here because these aren't official results, but um, what we're seeing with my day-to-day observations, we're going on a year and a half, two years now, is 
if I get into a pinch and I need to catch some birds, the first place I go is these native warm season grass pastures. And when I'm out doing my surveys and things like that, you know, I'll stand in the native grass pasture and I'll hear three or four male bobwhites whistling. But if I go to a tall fescue hayfield, I might hear one or two if I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect day and I get really lucky. I might hear one or two. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it really starts to look like there are more birds in those types of areas. Okay. We've talked about how farmers or ranchers can potentially get incentives if they're interested in switching over to native warm season grasses. Is there anything that individuals can do to help bobwhite populations and help with the effort? Sure. There's this thing, I'm going to call it a disease. It's called recreational mowing, where people, they see a weedy pasture you know, on their property. And you know what? That, that just looks ugly. We should mow that. That's the worst thing you could do for those bobwhites is because that's those weedy pastures. That's exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. So don't do any recreational mowing. If you have idle spots on your land, you could do some brush control, get rid of some of that brush. You could burn in the springtime, help encourage some forbs and other native grasses. If you've got a big patch of woods, you could thin out those woods. So bobwhite, they're not typically associated with what we call woods or forests. Mm-hmm. So reducing the amount of forest actually could potentially boost their numbers. Yeah, I'm actually from South Carolina, and I've seen a good number of bobwhites in the open pine stands where there's a lot of clearance on the ground. Sure. Yeah, pine savanna. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you hope will come from your research and your findings? What we're striving for is if we can demonstrate or provide data that suggests that bobwhites are more dense, have higher survival rates and things like that in these native grass pastures, we can demonstrate that. It will provide data that will encourage, hopefully encourage people to plant these native grasses on their pastures. And ultimately, what would be really sweet is if we could get that to happen across the entire Mid-South and... Mm -hmm. Really, that, that's the real kicker is we can provide habitat change on a landscape scale. That is the absolute best way to provide security for, for a near-threatened species like the bobwhite. Mm-hmm. Landscape scale changes. And also, to be clear, we're focusing on bobwhites, but that's really just an umbrella species, right? Aren't there many other species that would benefit from this same practice? Sure, yeah. So I'm also sampling for uh, about 10 other grassland-associated species and when you say umbrella species, that's a, good, that's a pretty good term for the bobwhite because when you, when you manage for bobwhite, you accidentally manage for several other bird species mm-hmm. um, as well. So yeah, I do, when I'm out surveying for bobwhite whistles in the spring, I'm also listening for other birds like field sparrows, dick sissels, meadowlarks, grasshopper sparrows, Henslow mm-hmm. sparrows, and things like that. Other birds that have experienced population declines? Yes, some of yeah. those are also declining. Okay. Well, Doug, thank you so much for this information. I I learned a lot today. This was really interesting. And I hope we can get an update on your findings sometime in the near future. Sure. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Out in the field every day. Yeah, I get paid to play in the field and count birds. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, Doug, thanks again for joining us. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. And please be sure to check out Bob White's on your own. We actually, within our department, we host a program called the National Bob White Conservation Initiative. So if you want to get more information on ways that Bob White's are being managed and how people are trying to help their populations, be sure to check out that program. 
Thanks again. We will talk to you next time. We'll have another grad student with us. Take care. For more real-life solutions provided by the UT Institute of Agriculture, go to our website at ag.tennessee.edu.